Recipes for Grief, Heartfelt Storytelling for Feely Foodies. I'm your host, Andrea Sexton Dumas. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Graceland Bateman. We actually connected on IG a while ago and often respond to each other's death jokes and grief jokes. On this episode, Graceland shares how she returned to humor after her father died and how his famous cookies, Kip's Chips, were a gift to other grievers even before he died. Our conversation meandered into questions about who were our parents before we were born and listening to voicemails and audio tapes of our beloved dead. Graceland Bateman is the co-founder of Luna Peak Foundation and builds the Instagram community at Snapshots of Life After Loss. She specializes in photography and helping people to tell their stories of loss, survival, and resilience within the grief and cancer communities. Her grief books include Beyond Grief, a Photoshop book of 80 grief interviews, the grief workbook, and the holiday version titled Seasons Griefings. She loves hosting workshops and helping people express themselves and process their grief with humor. Grace Lynn, thank you so much for joining me on Recipes for Grief. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. My pleasure. So I'm going to start with the question we ask all of our guests. How have you been sleeping recently? I have been full of very vivid dreams. So that's been a little weird. I feel like I'm waking up a little bit more exhausted than I need to, Mm -hmm. but you know, could be worse, could be better. (laughs) Always, right. Do you make things of your dreams or is it kind of like, ah, I don't know. Oh, I definitely do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) If it's worth remembering, it's worth um, spiraling over. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) I understand that assignment. (laughs) And texting my friends about it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, we're going to start off talking about your dad and his amazing and delicious cookies. Um, But I also want to ask kind of multiple questions all in one, because I'm wondering, do you ever dream about your dad? You know, sometimes I do, and it's really, really special. Yeah, I've only had really good dreams about him. Um, it's a type where you hug them and they feel real. Oh. It's it's just the best. Yeah, a lot of my family members get that as well. Wow. But, you know, I will say too, I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but sometimes in my dreams, if he'll be there, um, sometimes there will be this moment where, you know, they're there and acting normal and they're so alive. And you have in the back of your mind, like, oh, I'm, I'm so happy I get this time with them right now because they're dead. Yeah. Such a weird thing. Yeah, it is a weird thing. I have not yet had a dream that I'm in which I'm hugging either of my parents, but it did happen with my grandmother. And I, I definitely take that as like my level of grief, like the thickness of my grief is determining how I can interact with them in dream time. That's kind of how I interpret that. And so last year I had a dream where I was hugging my grandmother and boy, I'll take that drug every day. Yeah. It's so special. (laughs) It's so special. There's nothing like a grandma hug too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about your dad, Kip, and these amazing chocolate chip, like chocolate walnut chocolate chips. Tell me, tell me about the cookies. Tell me all the things. (laughs) Yeah. So they're oatmeal chocolate chip walnut cookies. Mm. 
So yeah, it was kind of a family recipe handed down, I think through one of his aunts and he just started making them and they're a little bit labor intensive, you know? Uh, But you know, they're a different type of cookie. They're crispy. And I would say it takes about two hours to make them for like each batch. We've been playing around with seeing if we could like freeze the dough before we haven't quite tried that whole process yet, but it's really great. It fills the whole kitchen with fresh cookie scent. And it always reminds me of him. And I was listening to your first episode last week and you're talking about how even, you know, folding the dough and putting your hands in the flour, all of that. Um, I really related to, um, in this case, I'm, I'm just mixing it with a spoon, but, um, you know, every time we make these, there's, there's no way I could get through it without thinking of my dad Yeah. and thinking of the intention of whoever I'm baking these for. We're never just baking these for ourselves. Right. Right. Well, that was so, so special. Cause when I reached out to you about coming on the podcast, you responded with, I'm actually making these cookies and let me send you some. So I first just have to say, thank you so much. It was absolutely delightful to receive your package, but the cookies are amazing. I'm so (laughs) glad you like them. So yeah, just to describe them for the audience. So they, they reminded me a little bit of mother's cookies in terms of the size. Do you remember those? I don't, you know what? I don't even eat chocolate. Okay, (laughs) That's the funny part about it. That's so great. So wait, hold on. As a, we got the backtrack. As a kid, did you eat these cookies when he would make them? So I'd eat the dough and then okay. I, he would make a few for me without chocolate chips in it. And it's not like I hate chocolate, but I'm never the type to go and get a chocolate chip cookie anywhere. Okay. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know like mother's cookies, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So they're about the size of your dad's cookies and they're crunchy and they were actually my dad's favorite when I was a kid. So it definitely had a special place in my heart. The chocolate was not overpowering in your cookie. Like it's definitely a like oaty, crunchy situation. And the, the chocolate was like a little, like a little extra something. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I would not describe it as a chocolate cookie though. It's definitely more of like the walnut oat flavoring. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that, that is maybe the loudest part of the cookie, mm-hmm. <laughs> the sugar. <laughs> so your dad started making these, they're a family recipe. Was he a cook? Like, was he always in the kitchen? No, no. He was, he was gone at work a lot. But when he would cook, it would be like frying up tacos Mm. or chili or frying up steaks, making burgers, um, very, I don't know, very like large family sharing meals. Okay. I guess. Okay. But yeah, he started making these cookies and the story behind it is that, so his name is Chris, but his nickname would be Kip. So they call him Kip's Chips. And he would start making these for people just to bring a smile to their faces. So when he was alive, he, you know, one of his friends had, um, a brother who was in a motorcycle accident he made it for her, um, to share. And then he would, you know, see if he could do gluten-free recipes, he would do nut-free recipes and customize them for whatever people would need. But it was whenever anybody was going through a tough time, that's when he would make these. And so now that he has passed away, we've started baking them for people in any type of, you know, sad or trying situation. 
um, or even a happy situation, celebration cookies too. Uh, but we make, we make them for them. And I oftentimes send them through the mail. It was just such perfect timing that you had reached out. Um, and I've actually gotten it to, to a place where I can fit about like 16 cookies in one of the small mailers. They were so well packed. I was very impressed with the packaging, the beautiful card that you sent. And I, I could tell that it was not your first time shipping these cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, we call them Kip's chips, but, um, you know, I, I have so many grieving friends and I met so many, so many of them through online, like I've met you, even though we're connected in other ways. Um, but I met a lot of people my age at grief camp actually in 2019. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we send these as pick me ups and, you know, unfortunately so many of the people who I met at grief camp who have lost one or two people have now lost three or four people. And so now I'm sending these through the mail and oftentimes <laughs> one of my friends calls them dead dad cookies, <laughs> which sounds so grim, but sometimes that's what they are, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's get into it because <laughs> your dad's cookies were a bonus for me. The initial reason I reached out to you to be on the podcast was actually for your humor. Oh, okay. <laughs> So let's let's talk about the death deck. <laughs> let's get into it. Well, this is the thing, you know, your Instagram profile, your TikTok, humor is all over your page. You like a dark joke. <laughs> Were you I, I have to ask before your dad died, like as a child, as a young child, what was your sense of humor like? Have you Definitely always okay. dark humor, sarcasm? Okay etc. For sure. The funny thing is that after he passed, that was the first life changing loss that I had. That was the first time I thought, Oh, my world will never be the same. And I genuinely thought I would never laugh or smile again. Like, how could you everything is so serious, and nothing is the same. And I think once my family started to laugh again, Mm -hmm. that's when I, I felt like there was a lot of hope. But even in starting the page, it was very serious for a long time. There are so many laughs behind the scenes, but it wasn't until I posted, I want to say two years into starting the page that we posted a meme and it was one of the most popular ones. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can also joke about all of this with a wider audience because I've just been kind of keeping it to chats and, and in the family that we would laugh, but it really is healing to be able to laugh with other people. And, you know, if something happens to you and it's that dark and terrible, it is absolutely worth laughing at. Mm. It is worth laughing about it, about all these common awkward experiences together. I mean, it's mm. just, it's ridiculous. And there's so many universal weird things that happen in the funeral week in, you know, the two weeks after that. And then of course the drop off of everyone and the solo journey that, uh, that ensues. Yeah. So uh, I was thinking, cause your, your foundation Luna peak foundation, and actually let me backtrack and just explain and share what that is. You and your aunt created a foundation, a publishing company basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you all publish books about grief, photography books, the grief workbook, which 
I love the description. Like it's a fun workbook about grief. (laughs) (laughs) So do you come from a fun family? Y'all seem kind of fun. Yes, we are so loud. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're loud. We laugh a lot. Um, I come from on my mom's side. um, Mm -hmm. She's half Italian, half Filipino. So there's a lot of giggles. There's a lot of food, a lot of laughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I even think about this too. I, I definitely tried to crack a few jokes in the eulogy that I gave Mm. for my dad. And I remember my aunt and I kind of, you know, put it together as a team. And I joke, like that was the first collaboration that her and I did (laughs) before, you know, going on to to start a nonprofit together. But even in the planning of it, I mean, the things that you have, all the micro decisions that go into planning a memorial are just so ridiculous sometimes yes they are so we were definitely laughing through that there there are a lot of cackles behind the work that we do which i think makes it even better because you know we help those in the cancer community and those in the grief community and these are both some of the most taboo topics Mm -hmm. and topics that people are scared of to this day when i tell people about what i do it's always a (gasps) gasp right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that sounds so terrible. Or, you know, their face completely changes. And yeah, those topics are absolutely terrible. But there is also a lot of joy in it as well. And I think that's part of, you know, we started with these photography projects where we're taking portraits of people who have been affected by cancer, affected by grief. And even the people who are in it, were saying, oh, am I allowed to smile? Can I Mm -hmm. smile through this? Absolutely. You know, and you'd have the smiliest people come through and say, should I be serious? Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, show exactly who you are. And Mm. if you are smiling when thinking about your mom who has died, I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think you should absolutely show that. So we're trying to break through some of those stereotypes, I think, based on my initial response to grief, which was, I'm never going to smile or laugh again. Mm -hmm. We're trying to kind of prove that. Mm -hmm. um, in the photography books that we have, but then also for these workbooks that are kind of (laughs) snarky and silly and, you know, a mix of everything, right? Grief is, it's terrible and it's wonderful and it's everything in between and it's the laughter. So we try to capture that and put that into workbooks so that people can kind of go through that process, you know, through all of those pages, you know, and it's, it's so vast and it's such Mm -hmm. a, an interesting experience. We might as well have all these engaging activities for people to dig through every part of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. I was actually thinking this when you were sharing how your father was making cookies for people who might be going through a difficult time or maybe a, you know, some sort of transition in their life. In this way, your father was already a grief worker. Are you all a griefy family? Like what was like the the family dynamic around grief and loss before he died? Like what? I would say most of that's coming from my mom's side. Um, mm. But, you know, even then, I feel like our family really didn't talk about it very much, which is kind of shocking. So my my dad, by the time, you know, he had passed, had lost a sister and a brother and both of his parents when he was relatively young. And then he lost his aunt just four days prior Mm -hmm. to passing away. And it's really fascinating to me because I never really heard about his grief. 
So that's also something I've been trying to dig into and doing all these interviews and taking portraits of people and hearing their stories. I just can't imagine what he was going through. Mm. And it's not exactly that he was an unemotional person. You know, he, he was also a very silly and goofy person. Um, but it's fascinating to me that I never really saw him cry. I, I didn't really see him take a beat mm-hmm. ever, you know, and I've, I've been asking my mom too, you know, what was that process? Because one of his, his brother actually lived with us mm-hmm. for many years. And so even that was just such a fascinating experience. Obviously all of us felt that loss, yeah. but that was his brother. And I just wish I could have asked him how he got through these things, mm-hmm. but I guess, you know, you're right. I have that answer is that, Making you know, he, he would bake these cookies. He would share them. He would try to brighten other people's days. And I think there is something to that too, you know, in doing grief work or healing work, it's, you know, paying it forward mm-hmm. and helping others through also helps you too. And it's not the primary objective to help yourself through that, but you know, it's a wonderful, um, latent function of it you know you you get to also enjoy that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely seems like in the creation of your foundation and the books that you and your aunt publish that you have created a community of grievers around yourself was that intentional it was not intentional (laughs) (laughs) so it started out as you know, sharing out the images and the stories from this book, because, you know, I started to do this because I also wanted these answers. I wanted to know how people pieced it together because I could not see or envision a path forward for me. And it really helped me to see somebody five years after father loss, 10 years, 20 years after father loss, um, and all different types of loss and, and relationships lost in the book. But I had to see it for myself and to hear it straight from, from them to, to actually believe it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's one thing to be reading these stories, but it's another thing to see, oh, no, no, no this is a real person. This yeah. is how they got through it. And they're actually smiling on whatever part of their journey that they're on now. So what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. If I was intentional that you created oh. a community around yourself. So I started sharing out these images and stories from the project online. And, you know, the intention there was to build a sense of community through that and to hopefully have this be very relatable content for other people. Cause it was very relatable for me and I found a lot of value in it. And so I started sharing that. And then we realized when we were posting them that some of the questions I was asking the participants that people would go into the comments and answer it for themselves. Mm. And I thought, okay, let's, let's shine a light on them. Let's open it up. You know, I, I didn't go into this with the intention of, of saying this has to be a community. Right. So then I started posting these templates that just said, you know, um, what was their name or, you know, tell me about a nickname or what are three words to describe how your grief feels today? And similar to a lot of the participants who we asked those questions, most everybody in the audience in the building community of it, they would all say, oh, no one's checked in on me in a very long time or ever. 
And so then there was this big sense of, you know, I need to keep doing this. I need to keep asking people how they're doing because our grief is oftentimes forgotten. Or if it's not forgotten, it's too awkward to ask, or it's been too long. And now I'm too afraid to ask them two years later how they're feeling on Father's Day when their father is dead. And so we've started, you know, having people in the community share out, you know, how they feel, but also we hope that that's a tool for supporters in a very open and honest way to, to approach some of the content and see. And one time we did this mean girls meme, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, they have like a burn book in the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. About, yeah. yeah, Just (laughs) roasting people. So I did like a grief burn book and let's hear some of the condolences that are some of the worst that you've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And so we just have hundreds of comments and I am just begging people on all of our channels to go take a look. Yeah. See how that felt for people see what you know some of those kind of trite things are and how they land and then you'll also see other strangers within the community responding and saying oh yeah that is really really bad or (laughs) um, listen to this one though so we hope it's also an opportunity for people to learn Mm -hmm. and you know overall it is a multicultural space which has been you know, something that I, I hope that the communities, both cancer and grief are trending towards Yeah. Um, much more representation, but we just overall hope it's a community where people can come in and feel like it is a safe space mm-hmm. and share and, you know, not compare, but share and listen and learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you also sometimes get a little negative feedback, perhaps maybe more so on TikTok where people are like, that's not funny. <laughs> you know how, <laughs> and it, yeah, we, we all come to, we all have our own individual relationship with grief. And then in that, inside that, of that experience, I know for myself, grief changes from day to day. There are days when I'm just light and fluffy and everything is just rainbows and butterflies. And then there's other days and it's just like, everything is heavy. I just cannot deal with life. And so, you know, on social media, you know, we're all getting the same content, no matter how we're feeling that day. So how is it, you know, how do you navigate that um, when people are maybe not in the place to receive a dark yeah. joke. Um, and you know, you're kind of, you know, running these pages and, and how, how do you handle that? You know, it's different on each platform. And I'd say on Instagram, I'm very much in mama bear mode. And that's also because I'm sharing other people's quotes and faces and content. Um, that's mostly what, you know, is the glue that holds the community together. It's sharing these personal experiences. And so, um, on both of our accounts, we just really try to, you know, get ahead of that and to make sure that people know that it is a safe and respectful space mm-hmm. and anything less than that won't be tolerated. So I'm, I'm definitely very hyper vigilant about mm-hmm. that when sharing other people's stories. And it's the funniest thing that now I'm, I'm doing just a couple really silly videos on TikTok, and it's mostly to hopefully drive people onto the Instagram page and, and join in the community but I remember one time I posted this video and it was about how I went to REI after my dad had died. And I went there to just use the remainder of the rewards points that he had on his membership card. 
and I was actually preparing for a trek to Mount Kilimanjaro to honor him. And so I was going and trying to buy all these supplies and I just wanted to go in and buy a jacket. And I got to the front and um, they gave me a little pushback because I said, oh, my name is Chris, which I guess, you know, some girls could come in with the name Chris, but Mm -hmm. um, with the way that it's spelled, it's usually, um, uh, you know, used for a man. And so they were getting a little, um, they're questioning me. And so I said, okay, well, you know, it's not my account. It's my dad's account. Do you think maybe I could just use the rewards? And they kept saying, oh, well, you should get it transferred to your own account. And he needs to come in and fill out the paperwork. And I'm like, you know, he doesn't, he can't come in. And they kept pushing it and they kept pushing it. And I finally said, he's dead. <laughs> like, I don't know what you want me to say. He's dead. Can I just buy this jacket, please? <laughs> like, I don't even need to use the rewards at this point. I am right, traumatized. Right. You are traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they ended up letting me use it. Mm-hmm. Um And so I posted this video and as soon as the views started going up, I just started crawling back into myself like, oh gosh, I cannot believe I am being perceived. This is awful. (laughs) Which really speaks to a lot of the bravery of, you know, everybody who's ever participated in any of our our books and projects. I really commend them for their bravery. But yeah, we had a few comments. I think a lot of people had related to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. And that's what it was for, right? And then we had someone else saying, well, you can't just go around making people uncomfortable on purpose. And I'm glad you got your jacket. I'm like, I didn't get a free <laughs> jacket because I threw the dead dad card in someone's right. face. Like, <laughs> Although that would be amazing course. if it worked. <laughs> that, you know, that is a page in our grief workbook. Where have you used uh, the grief card? Mm. One time I did get a donut out of it. Hey, yes. hey, yeah. what kind of donut? It was a rainbow sprinkle donut. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but the owner also had a dead dad and he brought it up first. Mm-hmm. So we connected on it and he threw in a donut. I wasn't, you know, just trying to grab at it. <laughs> right. You're not like, hey, so I don't have a dad. <laughs> The only thing that will solve my grief is that specific donut. I mean, you know, a good donut just might. (laughs) Definitely in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. It will absolutely solve it. Like maybe one one hundredth of it. That's right. That's right. A tiny, just a crumb, a crumb of the grief. (laughs) And honestly, I'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've actually thought about that for myself. Um, I was eight when my dad died. And so when I, when I look back and I tell the story, you know, it's like, well, that's the phrase. I was eight when my dad died, but as an eight-year-old, I would have never said I was eight. I was two months away from nine years old. And so I've sometimes have sat with that. Like it's less, it's, it's less horrible if I'm nine, like eight, you know, I'm, I'm younger. And so I'm like, Ooh, am I, am I using that? Like I've, I've definitely questioned myself. I'm like, Oh, what's my intention with, maybe I should say I was almost nine, just so I'm not like putting a little extra stuff, like, oh, I was so young. I don't know. It's just, I don't know, something that crosses my mind. Grief is weird. Grief is it weird. Is it, so it'll have weird. you second guessing everything. So yeah. That's, we're that's so thing. young though. Eight or nine, that is so young. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the other thing, it's interesting because 
Um, I love my family very much. I would never describe us as fun. <laughs> no offense, y'all. I promise. You know, I love y'all. <laughs> but, you know, I my grandmother was much more serious and prayerful, like super duper Catholic. And so it took me a long time to develop my own sense of humor, especially around death and grieving. And um, so for many years, it was just this thick molasses of grief. You know, just there was no laughter. There was no room for fun or anything. And over the years, you know, okay, this is super weird, but I know I'm in good company. So a few years ago, I was in the shower and, you know, they say, I'm using air quotes, they say that water is such a, a wonderful conduit for intuition and connecting with the other side. And so you might have liminal experiences in or near water. <clears throat> so I'd already kind of been having my, uh, you know, kind of eye open for like, Ooh, are weird things going to happen to me? And so I'm in the shower and I was thinking about my dad. And when I, when I think of my dad, I think of him uh, as about 45 years old. He, he died when he was 49. So I see him as like a full grown adult, you know, a little Afro but then in my mind, the picture started going backwards into time. And it kind of landed on a picture from when he was 16. My dad was super handsome. It was like prom or something like that. So he's just looking real hot. And then, so I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about this picture of my dad. And I'm thinking, well, he probably, this is how he presents himself to me. Younger, when he was healthy, basically. My dad uh, started going blind right around the age of like 19. So I think he prefers to see himself young and healthy. And so I'm like, is this creepy that I'm in the shower thinking about how hot my dad was when he was 16? <laughs> Weirder things have happened, I'm sure. <laughs> truly, truly. And like, I'm in the shower and I'm having, and I'm just laughing so hard by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sexualizing my dad and I'm in the shower and this cannot be okay. And now I'm sharing it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though, going through photos of them before you existed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. During they were the whole pandemic. humans. Yes. Mm, do tell. Whole during the humans <laughs> fully formed. Um, I guess during the early part of the pandemic, I know it's not over. Right in any way, shape or form. But, um, I was, I have been in my mom's house since the pandemic and my brother would come over a lot and we would go through a lot of the photos and we're trying to organize everything. We're going through stuff in the attic, everything. And I came upon this whole album and it was my dad's 30th birthday. Wow. And I think it just hit me. It was just such an ignorant thought that I hadn't contemplated this before that he existed before I existed. <laughs> but I sat and thought, I mean, who was he before kids? You know, yeah. what was his personality? And you know, I was, my, I have a brother who's five years older. And so I'm oftentimes, you know, looking to my mom and brother to fill in some of the gaps because they'll share so many memories sometimes. And I just don't know them at all. Yeah. But it is a funny thing to to review yeah. who they were as a teen or even as an adult. It's so yeah. it's interesting. Absolutely. Do you have any of uh, like any of your dad's friends? Are they still in your life at all? 
yes, we have a lot of family friends mm. and I have a godfather. Oh. Um, it's, it's really lovely. He's also six, three. And when I hug him, it's definitely the closest I can get to a dad hug, mm. which is really special. Mm. Oh, that is so special. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Thank you for, thank you for saying that because yeah, there's some people who you hug or maybe there's a smell, you know, or it just takes you right back. So thank you for saying that. Um, I have definitely not had that feeling of hug, you know, that, that is lost on me. However, um, my grandmother learned English as a second language, even though my family had been in Louisiana for several hundred years, they all spoke French. And so she would pray in French and she taught me how to say the rosary in French. Um, and so I have a cassette tape that I, I have now, but for some time I had lost it. So I was searching on YouTube for someone saying the rosary in French. And when I found the person saying it, it was, it was just so comforting to hear the accent, just like my grandmother's saying these words that no one else in our family knows how to say the rosary in French. I'm the only one who she was able to teach. And so I know that feeling of like, oh, it's so close to the original. I will take this. That's profound. I'm so happy that you found that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And since then, the cassette tape itself, um, she only recorded a, a snippet of the rosary. So I had my partner take the audio and duplicate it. So it's an actual full rosary with all the proper prayers and all the proper place, just repeating the snippet over and over and over. That's amazing. Yeah. It brings me so much comfort. Like, and, and I'm also, you know, I'm saying the rosary with her and I'm probably like three or four years old. So also to imagine myself, you know, stumbling over my tongue. <laughs> trying to remember how to say these words that I have no idea what they mean, you know. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The the do you have like audio, like videotape of your dad? Like do you have any of those things? Somewhere I'm sure we might have some mm -hmm. beta like yeah. stuff, but, um, I have voicemails, mm. which I've emailed to myself and backed up on a thousand hard drives. Yes. But yeah, just like a happy, joyful voicemail, mm -hmm. even him just leaving one, just saying that he and my mom are off to Costco, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the simple day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm really thinking of the power of the senses as we're talking. Cause even like with the photographs, like it's sight, it's touch, you know, hugging that family friend who's tall, you know, the taste of the cookies or the smell in the kitchen. Like I'm just thinking about the senses right now. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes those voicemails are hard to, to get through. Mm -hmm. I think that might be the one that just kind of, uh, takes my breath away. Yeah in an intense way, like not in a, oh, wow. Right, right, right. <laughs> in a, in a little bit of a bad way. <laughs> Just yeah. oh, like the losses fresh in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have one cassette tape with my father's voice. It, the recording is about 10 minutes long, but it was to my mother and they were having 
little bit of a kerfuffle. So it's not really like it wasn't for my ears to begin with. And even when I listened to it, you know, he's addressing the issue that they were having. So there's only about, you know, two to three minutes that I would actually listen to where he's just saying, you know, oh, I, I love you and Andrea so much, you know, da, da, da. But I mean, I probably haven't listened to it in over 10 years. It's, it's just, it does put me in deep grief. It really does. It'll snatch you back in a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's incredible you have that. It's it's super incredible, especially, you know, it's like today we have so much on our phones, you know. I mean, my goodness gracious, I probably have 4,000 pictures of my dog on my phone, <laughs> <laughs> quite literally. But back then, you know, videotape, film, even photographs, we weren't recording everything like we do today. So to have something from the 80s or the 70s, you know, prior, it's pretty special, pretty rare. It is. That's that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to hear that voice, you know, and actually this is kind of changing gears, but not something happens to me with my mom. It's super weird. Um, I was, I think I was 24 when my mom died. Um, Side note, I am a classic disassociator. I'm great at it, especially as a young person. So I always think it's weird that I never can remember exactly how old I was when my mom died. I always have to do the math. It was like the whole time is just like foggy in my brain. And so it's like with my dad, I'm like, I can tell you everything that was happening. But with my mom, it's like, wait, 23, 24, thereabouts, you know? <laughs> so it's another weird grief thing. Um, I don't have any recordings of my mother, you know, audio or video. Um, she lost her voice. She lost the ability to speak when I was about 14. So it's just been so long since I've heard her voice. You know, wow. I don't have anything to go back to. But when I was a kid, she would sing to me to wake me up in the morning. And sometimes I can hear her singing to me as I'm coming out of sleep. And by the time I'm awake, it's gone. So it's like this, this weird place where I, I can just hear it and I know exactly who it is. And I'm like, oh, it's time to wake up. And then I wake up and it's just, it's like smoke, it's gone. Isn't that interesting? Oh my gosh, you're making me tear up. That is so beautiful. Yeah. That is so incredible. Yeah, my, you know, you can't ask grief for favors, but I do. <laughs> And, and my, I'm just asking just one day before I die, just let me hear her voice and remember it. Oh my gosh. I am just, I love this story. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just thinking about how long that she didn't have a voice, even when she was living. I mean, that's yeah. devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I, boy, talk about wanting to ask your parents questions. You know, I, <clears throat> her husband died. My mom was in a convalescent home. She had multiple sclerosis. And how, how did she get through her grief is what I want to know. You know, 
after she went into a convalescent home, I moved around quite a bit. Um, and so for a good number of years, I only saw her during my Christmas break and my summer break, mm. just based on where I was living and where she was living and, you know, who could take me for the summer and who could take me for Christmas break. And um, I can't imagine the loneliness she must have felt, you know? Um, in fact, recently I was just thinking, I've been sitting with stillness a lot and quiet, quietude, how to listen, how to listen better. And I've been giving the owls in my neighborhood all the credit because <laughs> they're majestic and mysterious and um, fill me with a great amount of awe. But I also just remembered a few weeks ago it's my mother who taught me how to be quiet. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is so profound. And I love how she comes through to you in all these different ways, right? Mm -hmm. You're learning this lesson with her. Yeah. Yeah. And also she had an incredible sense of humor. So <laughs> Graceland, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so there was one time um, I was very close with my mom's sister, Jojo, and she and I, Jojo, so I went to college in Long Beach at Long Beach State. That's where my mom lived. That's where she was from. And her sister and I would meet every Friday at the convalescent home, sometimes on the weekend as well, as well as birthdays and holidays. And one year, uh, Jojo bought my mom a muumuu, you know, like a house dress, uh, with snap buttons with like pink flowers and you know leaves and this and that and so you know and, and just as a side note sometimes when we're talking with people who are disabled or have um you know diseases or illnesses like you definitely talk down to people right like you just mm. i don't know just i just needed to say that because we were like mommy look at your pink dress and so you know we're doing this whole thing with this pink dress and my mom, you know, she's like moving her lips, you know, trying to muster up her energy. And so we're kind of like waiting for, you know, with bated breath. What is, what is Beverly going to say? Magenta. Oh my God. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and then, you know, it was so cool to hear her speak in that moment, but then Jojo and I are like, okay, you haven't spoken in years. You gain all your energy and magenta is the word you want to say. Oh my gosh. It's almost so calculated and like half petty. Like I, I love so that petty. so much. <laughs> not, I love you. Not Merry Christmas. <laughs> this is not a pink dress. This shit is magenta. Okay. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> and so, you know, so many times when I'm in deep grief, I feel like I don't know my parents. I don't know my mom, but then I have these glimmers and it's like, okay, well, I know she had a good sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. How did I mean, you guys react in the moment? Well, we just, we all laughed. We all <laughs> laughed. It was just so ridiculous. And Joanne also had a really good sense of humor as well. So it was just nonstop laughing magenta 
oh wow i know that is so i'm gonna remember that every time i see a color yes yes. close to magenta i -hmm. will absolutely be thinking of (laughs) you and your mom and aunt that is so funny (laughs) yeah so good so good so good (laughs) i'm gonna need a sip of water after that give me one moment (laughs) (laughs) Mm. and so speaking of aunts i want to talk about your aunt I want to say her name is Melody. Aunt Melody, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, because you two have built this foundation, you're doing all of this grief work together and and supporting cancer patients and cancer survivors. How has your relationship with her changed now that you are in in the grief space together? That's so interesting. Yeah, she's absolutely my partner in grief. Mm -hmm. We started this because she went through leukemia as a child. Mm -hmm. And so actually, you know, this fall marks 40 years of her being in remission, which is really incredible. Wow. And she survived at a time when a lot of kids were not surviving leukemia. Um, But yeah, it's really interesting because she is my aunt, but she's 12 years older than me. So it's really not that much of an age gap. So we actually grew up more like siblings. Mm -hmm. So for our family unit, she definitely saw my dad as a father figure um, my dad would be her brother-in-law mm-hmm. and cause he was in her life ever since she was two years old, like, they got married and she was like a little, uh, flower girl for it. It's Aww. very cute, but yeah, she grew up more as a sibling for me. So we've always been very close, but it's really interesting that in doing this work bo- both for her cancer community and for grief, which we run together, it's so fascinating to hear all of these memories pop up for her Mm. about her cancer experience. Cause I was not alive when she was going through that. And it's really beautiful to see even more healing Mm. down the line, Mm. even 40 years later, there's so much there. And I think a lot of it has, you know, been pulled up too, since interviewing other people and hearing everything that they're saying and watching her show up for those people, which she has done throughout her life. Um, but you know, in starting these projects, you know, it's just a new way for her to serve the community. And it's really beautiful to see kind of a ripple effect of healing. You know, and I, I'm oftentimes visualizing her even mm-hmm. as a six-year-old going through treatment and, you know, she's creating her, her, her poem and this beautiful book, follow me cancer free. Mm-hmm. And it shows her going through the whole process in a illustrated children's book. And it's really cool for her to go and deliver these to pediatric cancer wards. Mm. And I can see her go in and find other brown kids that she's delivering these to and reading it to them. And they're pointing to the photo of um, a little girl who's brown who doesn't have any hair. Mm. And then Melody goes, that was me. This is this is my own little photo too. And then they point to another one where later in the book, she has curly hair, which she got, you know, chemo curls after treatment. Her hair used to be straight, but wow. now it's beautiful, beautiful curls. Um, but yeah, I get to witness that mm. in her, which is really beautiful. And I think, you know, obviously there are a lot of things that are very specific to cancer and specific to grief, but there's also a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to be partnered with someone who has for so long handled their grief 
and handled their grief in cancer of losing their friends in hospitals and to kind of see that reopened Mm. while I'm just starting my grief journey. So I think in a lot of ways, she has kind of led the way in showing me how to celebrate life Mm -hmm. despite all of the tough, ugly parts of it. She really has always had that mindset since surviving cancer. And that's helped me snap out of it sometimes. Mm. It's helped me both reach out, but also snap out of, you know, completely going down a path of isolation, Mm -hmm. I think. So I think definitely the community part of it, she's also really emphasized. And I'm, I'm just so lucky to to work with her. She brings all of these incredible ideas to the table. Every time we do either a Zoom or we're in person, it's always such a mix of a lot of things because we are family. So sometimes yeah. I'm helping to babysit her three boys and sometimes we're doing pickups and sometimes she joins me on pickups and we're, you know, planning a gala in the future. And, you know, it's like a 10 minute car ride and we're like, great, we solved it. <laughs> we know exactly <laughs> what the plan is. <laughs> But she's just that type of person where she's very charismatic. She's always very motivating. And there's something about her energy that just really propels us forward. Mm. And then I come in and I make sure all of it happens. I'm yeah. I'm a very serious person when it comes to actually implementing ideas. So mm-hmm. I think we're the perfect pair. Yeah, it sounds like it. Because you've previously worked in, in marketing, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you're a business take your care of her. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a, a, maybe a weird question. I'm wondering, you know, as someone who was not, you know, in the grief space, I don't know what that means, but like, you know, you weren't, I don't know, the child of a mortician or something. Mm -hmm. And now you are like fully invested in the grieving community. Um, Do you ever get grief fatigue? Oh, you know, I've had to learn to set boundaries. Cause like I said, I'm very mama bear online. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I take a lot of these really big holidays and days, seriously, mother's day, father's day. I'm oftentimes online the mm-hmm. whole weekend and not sleeping and making sure I'm not seeing something that somebody posts wow. that I need to repost or something like that. So, you know, I do take that very seriously. I've had to learn to block off my dad days. So I call them dad days because my dad died the day before his birthday. Mm. So it's just back to back days, which honestly, you know, props to him for letting us get it all over with <laughs> in a weekend. It's also a holiday weekend. He really, oh, wow. he's really <laughs> efficient for that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've learned to appreciate that for sure. But, you know, I tell everybody on those two days, you know, don't come to me with anything, you know, don't come to me with any bad news. Don't come to me with anything but good, happy things. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're already in my circle, you know, my, my cell phone number, text me good updates. If Mm -hmm. you have any, I don't want to miss anything, but you know, if it's, you know, anything small and negative, I, I can't handle it. And oftentimes I'll just shut off my phone for the whole weekend or put it on do not disturb. But I figure two days out of the whole year, 
are totally fine for me to ask for complete peace and or positive (laughs) things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've, I've started doing that. I think there are a lot of times, and I see this online too, when you run an, an online community, sometimes you just, you can't handle it sometimes. And, you know, either you're deep in grief and you just physically cannot bring yourself to even push a few buttons to create a post, which is really wild, but it's just one of those things. Mm -hmm. And I see other people post about it and feel bad. And you see a whole flurry of comments saying, that's fine. You know, we're not expecting any of this from you and definitely take care of yourself. And so I try to think of times where I've seen that elsewhere and try to incorporate that too. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what you get out of a community is what you put into it. And so Mm. I think sometimes I have a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I am showing up in all the ways I've been showing up. But, you know, across five years of, you know, building this community, your grief changes as well. And I absolutely need to rest. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's an odd thing sometimes. Yeah. When you set that boundary with like the people who have your phone number, how was that received by your, you know, your nearest and dearest? How has that been, um, how do I ask? How have you navigated people receiving you and meeting you in your grief? I've had to learn to be just so explicit you know, just so clear and transparent about it. And I think I'm so lucky to have so many people care about me, Mm. but sometimes I have to make it so black and white. That is very different from my personality. I'm usually just kind of go with the flow, non-confrontational, but these days happen and, you know, the smallest things will set me off. You know, I absolutely have my ugly days. Mm -hmm. Um, and very, very griefy days, whether that's, you know, sad or really just deep in it. So it's, it's a funny thing. So it's been about seven years since my dad passed. And this last time around, I told my inner circle, you know, earlier on in my grief and definitely what I preach online is to acknowledge the loss and to say something on these days, everybody, most people who I know feel a certain way leading up to some of these key days, right? And I think early on in my grief, I just felt like people had forgotten. And for me, my dad's loss was the biggest thing in my life. And everything, even in my daily life, even just driving in my car, somehow I found a way that that was somehow intertwined with the grief and loss in some strange way. And that was just so loud to me that I just really wanted people to acknowledge and validate the fact that that has pretty much set my life onto a different track. But now that I've moved towards year seven, you know, I've realized I actually don't want anyone to say anything at all. And maybe that's just what I felt this past year. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. just notification stress. I don't know what it is, but a funny thing kind of happened this last year. And who knows, maybe it's going to be different year eight. Maybe I want people to, to text me again, but you know, I said, you know, leading up to this, it feels really bad in my body, you know, and, and I, it's nothing that I haven't experienced before, but I know what it feels like when you get this anxiety, you know, you try to take a breath and you fill up your lungs with air and somehow you just feel like they're not full yet. Mm. There's still more space there and you can't quite get to a full breath. And I was experiencing it. And I just said, look, 
I'm fine. I've gotten through, you know, about seven years leading up to this of grief and some anxiety. And uh, it just feels like the wind has been knocked out of me. Mm. And, you know, before I kind of let this go too far, I'm just going to let you guys know how I feel. And this year, you know, I know you guys all care. That's why you guys are in my close circle. And, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to text me. Shocking. I know, but you guys don't have to text me, (laughs) which, you know, I think I have to hand it to all these supporters. It's such a dynamic process Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to support people in grief. You know, as much as I joke around online about, you know, these trite condolences and what to say and what not to say, we always do say it's such a flexible thing that you have entered into and you have to know who this person was to the person you're supporting and you have to know what these people generally like. I mean, even just boil it down to how they deal with a bad day. Mm. They want someone to come over with ice cream or do they want people to shut the hell up, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something in between that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it is a really difficult thing. And, you know, just like grief changes, right. You have to also change in the type of support. Mm-hmm. So I am thankful that people did listen to that. I think it's really uncomfortable for them to think, Oh, okay, well I put her dad days on my calendar. What am I supposed to do? Not just ignore it. You know, so I, I feel <laughs> I do feel bad that that probably was uncomfortable for many of them. Mm. But I think it just got to a point where with the type of loss that I had with my dad, he died in a very sudden way. Mm. No one really expected it. And so I think what I was zeroing in on was the fact that seven years later, it was that reminder. And, you know, you know, every day that your parents are dead, mm-hmm. it's it's nice to get some acknowledgement sometimes, but I realized a lot of the texts coming in or waking up and you've got 20 texts to read through. Mm-hmm. I realized, oh, this is actually similar to how it felt seven years mm-hmm. ago when, when the flurry of texts just came in and you just kind of sit with, okay, not only do I have to wow. respond, I have to respond in a way that doesn't freak other people out. You know, if you're you're reaching out to someone who is grieving, especially just immediately after loss, you know, everybody's scared on both sides of that text strand, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to hear anything devastating. You want to hopefully share something that might be comforting. But there is that chance that, you know, how it's getting received is is actually like re-traumatizing someone. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of what I was feeling in my body when I was asking mm-hmm. people to, to, you know, it's okay if we keep these days quiet now. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll that's right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. I want to respond to two things. Um, first, for the people who are like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just ignore this day. Um, so what I do, I'll actually share with you. So my dad's sister, my aunt Ophelia had a card calendar, a a greeting card calendar organizer. Um, And when she died, I kept this. So I have written down, you know, birthdays and death days for all sorts of people. 
And most people I don't reach out to for whatever, you know, maybe their extended family or just someone I like, there's a client who, um, <laughs> there's a client who we worked with years ago and it was right after his wife passed and he brought me her obituary. And so, you know, she's with the family. <laughs> she's mm -hmm. on my calendar. We don't talk anymore. But what I do on those days is I just send them love in my heart. Mm -hmm. Like instead of a text message, I just, it's like the Care Bear stare. I just send them yes. love from my heart. And so it's, it's not that we're ignoring it. We're just respecting that physical boundary and just, you know, sending love through the ether, you know? I love that. Yeah. Like I definitely, um, again, like with that, with that wistfulness of my mother waking me up, it's like, there's, there's something happening in between us that we can't quite put our finger on. And so I use that space quite a bit to say, Hey, I love you. And I'm thinking about you. And I don't have to like get a text message response or call you to know that you're going to feel that in, inside of yourself somewhere. I don't need that um, acknowledgement that I've somehow loved you on this day. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Send love in your heart. I love that. I absolutely love that. I've also heard uh, one of our participants had told me people will send them a photo of her dad's favorite drink. So her dad passed away. And so they'll take a photo and say, Oh, this one's for Larry. Oh. Um, or someone might light a candle for someone too. Mm -hmm. And say the little candle. And I love those little things. Right. And even just kind of having that energy out there. I think that is such a beautiful thing to do for people. Yeah. Yeah. When especially, so I, I, I love that you were, you identify as a griever and there was a time when you didn't at some point, everyone will be on this side of that equation at some point, you know, we all have loss, whether it's a loss of innocence in childhood, you know, you lose out on, um, a big life goal that you hoped had happened and it doesn't happen. There was always something to grieve. And the, you know, if you're, if you're lucky enough to live long enough, you will lose everyone you know and care about. So you will be a griever at some point, friends. If you're listening, you're like, well, that doesn't, they're not talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> we mean um, you. <laughs> oh, hold on. I think you're stuck. Okay, you're back. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay. One second. Let me see if I can. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. Good. Um, so when I hear you speak about, it's almost as if when you are in relationship with someone who is in deep grief or just someone who is, you know, acknowledge themselves as a griever, we, as their loved one, have to use our own intuition and discernment to place them, okay, do they want a phone call? Do they not? And so it's this, it's this constant um, in motion experience where it's not like, I'm just this way and I'm just always this way. You, if, if we're in relationship, you will have to think about how I'm doing today at some point. And likewise, I will have to think about, you know, I go to my handy dandy calendar. Is this Graceland's? are these the, 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 the dead dad days or not? And so 
you know, just thinking about how we all could use a little bit more of that kind of checking in with ourselves about our loved ones before we call them or text them. Just how, how is this person doing? What's going on in their lives? Like, how can we be more intentional about relating with each other? I think is what I'm trying to say. And you know what? It's, it's come from so many years of me doing it wrong too, you know, mm-hmm. um, both when I was not a griever and also now when I am a griever, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a guess and check method. It always shocks me to hear all of these reminders of how different people are, whether they want to acknowledge the days, not acknowledge it or, or something else. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And we'll do workshops all the time. We just did one a couple of weeks ago and people were so mad that people were checking in on them on those mm. days. They were like, my husband's dead every single day, you know? Mm-hmm. don't text me today yeah oh, okay absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah totally yeah yeah and it's, it's so hard to like get to that place though because then even in my personal experience you think that that's gonna be how you feel all the time and then oops that changed Mm-hmm. don't text me either <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i know i know last year it was okay to text me but this year don't text me <laughs> <laughs> right like i i feel how confusing that is mm-hmm. and i have so much empathy for supporters yeah because of that but you're so right we all will need to go through it mm-hmm. at some point and yeah i know obviously we also have the connection of the doula program And it's also that, you know, we all have to prepare for, you know, a day that we're not here and we don't know Mm -hmm. when that day will come. So, you know, preparing for grief, preparing for death, death of, you know, people in your, in your close circle, all of this is so real. And I, I wish there was a way for us to get this information out and to have discussions about this before it was immediately relevant for people. Mm-hmm. Well, you you huh. are doing that. Yeah, you are doing that. I, I think the people who will be attracted to your work and my work are already in the grieving pan with us. Right. <laughs> but right. I I I also really hope, and I think the past few years with COVID, um it, it's brought it home a little more so, like for the general public that like, wait a minute, this is happening all the time, you know? And, you know, we experience, you know, collectively mass shootings and celebrity deaths and these things, you know, especially even now with reality TV and you hear about reality stars who might pass away. And so it's it's more in the ether in, instead of just like in our own private lives. And so I'm also really hoping that, you know, people like us on the ground, on the IG, you know, on the airwaves are able to continue planting those seeds so that younger generations feel more comfortable speaking about grief, you know, that it's just something we cultivate. Because at some point, you know, in the past, I mean, my goodness, you know, home funerals and bathing the body, these are things that we today are like, oh, no. But it was 
common. In fact, my grandmother, uh, because my grandmother migrated from Texas to California in the 50s, and many of her siblings were either in Southern California or stayed back in Texas or Louisiana, she would always ask when someone died to take a picture of them in their coffin. It was just something my grandmother wanted to see their final resting place. Wow. And as a kid, I was like, this is really weird. But then later I learned that that's what the Victorians did. They would dress up, you know, a dead person, including children in their beautiful outfits and take a portrait of the dead person. So, you know, we may not get back to Victorian death portraits, but to just have death and grief be a part of normal life, because in fact it is. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Avi. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're doing that work and I hope I am too. Absolutely. You yeah. stay inspiring me. It's, oh, it's a really funny thing to see those photos too, right? And we're so removed from that. And I'll go through family photos even, and it's really big in Filipino culture. And also I've seen, you know, on my Italian side, all of these photos of people at funerals and they will be in the coffin and the whole family is surrounding them. Like some very griefy group photo type of situation. (laughs) There will be like 10, 10 photos too, because of course, you know, it wasn't like digital photos at all. Right, right. (laughs) All like either printed photos and crazy but Mm -hmm. yeah I I think even learning about the home funerals why Mm. couldn't we have kept my dad in here for a couple days yeah what a concept that actually might have been really really Mm -hmm. great I was actually separate from my family I was living in New York at the time that my dad passed away so everybody was here and they all got to go to the hospital um, and I flew back and so the first time I saw him was actually at his wake and so, you know, but by that time for me personally, it was, that was tough for me to see, mm-hmm. to see him not look like himself, you know, Absolutely. and it's different for everybody, what they would prefer. But mm-hmm. since going through the training, I thought, oh, that actually might've been kind of nice to have him mm-hmm. in the home and how many people came through our home in that week. And, you know, I wonder if that actually might've been a nice comforting thing for us Mm -hmm. it's really opened up my eyes to all these possibilities and traditions that have been lost yeah absolutely I definitely think for myself it would have been helpful I didn't really understand death you know I I can remember one of my aunts saying uh my dad died on a Sunday and my family knew he was going to die. So that day they had another church family take me after church to the park or something. And it was weird because they brought me to San Francisco, which we never went to San Francisco. So I can remember like driving on the bridge and it was like, this is weird. Why, why am I going to San Francisco? And then, you know, when I get back, the whole family's there, my father had died. And so one of my aunts took me aside and said, Oh, well, do you remember when I told you that your father might die? And I was like, no. And I said, yes. But inside I was like, what, what is she talking about? I I had no, again, classic disassociator. Thank you very much. I had no idea what she was talking about. I, it did not register to me at all. I'm sure we had this conversation. I'm sure my aunt had this conversation with me. She and I were very close, but I didn't remember it. 
And so the only thing that was in my mind was when I would ask my mom about her parents who had already died. And she would say as Catholics, well, one day we will see them again. And so, you know, I'm eight. I'm I'm a couple months before nine. I'm like, oh, maybe my 16th birthday or maybe 21. Like those seem to be really big birthdays. So I really was like, what's the big deal? We're going to see him when I'm 16. Wow. I I like literally lived in my own world. And another aunt was like, why aren't you crying? Like she couldn't understand my response because I was outside playing. I really didn't know what was happening. Um, And later that night, the funeral home came and took his body. And I'm pretty sure if his body had remained in the home for a few days, I would have begun to understand like, oh, wow. Okay. Like something has really changed. Um, So, you know, I I think about it a lot for myself. I I would have loved you don't know what you want until after you go through it. So let me also right. say that, right? Like, <laughs> it's like when I, when I sometimes kind of fantasize about like, what, what would it be like to have a dad or a mom at 40 years old? What would it, how would I relate to them? Like, would we be friends? Would they approve of me? Like, I, you know, I have all these thought experiments going in my, in my heart. And when I think about, well, what if they were to die today? Oh, I want seven days. I want people coming. I want the food drop-offs. I want all of that. Like, please come and sit with me and don't leave my side for many, many days. But, you know, it just wasn't common, you know, in the eighties and, and still isn't today, but hopefully. You know, that's just, that's such a fascinating experience that you had. And it's also so common for kids to be in and out of play while grieving Mm-hmm. And for each of these age groups, just how differently that they process this and, and even understand the concept of death. It's, yeah. it's wild. It really oh. is. I, Cause well, so the end of that story is on those big birthdays, I was kind of like waiting for something to happen. Um, wow. I, I was, I, and you know, <laughs> my grandmother would talk about our dead relatives, but it wasn't like, again, everything just seems so ethereal to me. So for example, if a door would, you know, the wind would blow and a door would shut, she would say, Oh, well, that's your uncle Peter. You know, he's coming to say hello. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Uncle Peter. So like, I remember feeling really disappointed at 16, like nothing happened. And then it was like, okay. Like something's wrong with me because I'm supposed to see him again. And so like, it really took like years and years for me to understand, like you didn't cause his death. He didn't leave because like, it, it was just like growing up as an adult in a certain kind of way, because I just really didn't get it. It was, and, and then kind of realizing all the ways in which I really, even though I wasn't super emotional at 10 years old and 12 years old about my father, I was internally really punishing myself because I really blamed myself as kids do, right? You're the center of the universe as a child. (sighs) Thank God for therapy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I just also have to say like coming back to the humor piece, you know, there was no humor about this when I was like 18, like in my twenties and things like it's definitely coming to be late because for so many years it was just like, life sucks, bro. Like I'm supposed to do this without my parents. That's whack. It is. 
you know, so thank goodness also for humor and just being able to share laughter and joy and cookies. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I'm so thankful that this has been more of a conversation and more accounts are popping up and, you know, kind of breaking down some stereotypes, but also just expanding the conversation so that when we do joke about it, that there are people who are ready to receive that too, for the most part. That's right. It just makes everything lighter. Yeah. And, and when you are ready to laugh about it, that there's someone ready for you with a joke. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's so funny. One of my, one of my really good friends from high school, she had lost her dad when during her first semester of college. Mm. And I remember trying to show up for her. I think maybe instinctively knowing, Oh, I'll, I'll put together a care package for her. But I didn't really know how to support her. And when my dad passed away, her immediate response was, let me know what you need if it's this, 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 or a joke. Mm. And I was like, wow, I love that. So she had already been going through that journey far Mm. before me. And I I really loved just even the fact that she would offer that. I, I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, of course even if I didn't take her up on it, I know that it's okay to joke. That's right. That's right. So I'm for everybody who is kind of paved that way. Mm-hmm. Well, that just really underscores how important it is for us to share our stories. Yes. Because if, you know, if she just hid under a rock and just had her little jokes and had her little grief and, you know, you would have not had that permission. Yes. that's the perfect word for it yeah like she kind of gave that to you and then you're giving it to the rest of us this has just been such a heartwarming and lovely conversation thank you so much gracelyn thank you you are you are such a magical person that's really how i see you thank you i appreciate that (laughs) i'm gonna give all the credit to the owls I just want to remind our listeners that all of your links, all the wonderful ways to contact you, um, you know, snapshots of life after loss, Luna Peak Foundation, all of those links will be on the podcast page of your listener. Um, And I think we have a pretty good insight into how you care for yourself, not chocolate, (laughs) (laughs) but definitely laughter and taking time. But I just want to bring us to our final question today. You know, knowing that grief is such a part of life, grief is love and love is grief. What are your recipes for living with grief? How else do you support yourself that you'd like to share with us? I love this question. When I was new in my grief process, I had heard a lot that grief is a very individual process. And that's absolutely true. There's so much that you go through. Even if you are within a family, everyone is going to grieve differently within that family. And it's just so unique to you. What I didn't know at first was how important community was. And I know that sounds like such an unoriginal thought about, you know, of course, community is great, right? Community is great for every experience, really. But what I didn't realize is that it really does have to be a mix of the two. Mm. It will always be an individual process, but there will always be something that you can share with other people and learn from someone else's journey, even if it's not even relatable to you. There's Mm -hmm. always something new to learn about grief. Um, And that's kind of what I learned in interviewing 80 people. They kept telling me something different Mm -hmm. and I kept just being so amazed by it. But even in my endeavors 
to attempt to get through grief by myself, there was always some kind of community piece that intervened and helped me get back on track. Um, when I trained for my trip to Kilimanjaro, that was supposed to be a solo trip. And I realized, oh, well, I actually need some people to hike with and train with. And of course, I ended up connecting with so many people who had dead parents. Of course, mm -hmm. I would connect with these strangers online and, and go hiking with like this women's group. And so many of them had lost parents and, um, you know, going through that process. And then I go to Kilimanjaro and of course it was help from the guides and help from the porters. And then I realized one of the guides had also lost their dad. Mm -hmm. And I realized that another girl on my trek had also lost her dad. And there were so many elements that just continued to surprise me. But even in all of my best efforts to sit and take care of my grief and get through it, that's always kind of been quashed by, by these elements of community that have come in to save me. So I think it has to be, I don't know what the exact measurements or breakdown of community versus individual process, but you know, it has to be a mix, maybe 50, 50, or maybe, mm -hmm. I guess it, it depends on each person, but I guess figure out whatever that breakdown is that, that fits best for you. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm, I'm distracted by something, so I need to ask you. <laughs> Before we close, I know we just asked the final question, but you've referenced your trip to Mount Kilimanjaro twice. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, my dad loved to hike. He loved to hike. He loved to bag these really crazy peaks. There's Mount Whitney in, in California. That's the tallest, um, the tallest mountain in the continuous U.S. So he loved doing that hike. He loved doing Half Dome in Yosemite. He never did any of the hikes close to us, which is kind of crazy because there are so many here, like around the suburbs that, you know, even like six miles or 10 miles, went, like he definitely wow. could have done those. He just did the really tall ones. So he and I had <laughs> never, <laughs> he and I had talked about a few things before he died. I knew I wanted to do the Grand Canyon with him. I wanted to do Machu Picchu potentially, but we had never talked about Kilimanjaro and I know he would have absolutely loved that. So I went on a, an eat, pray, hike journey and set my sights on that because I just, I really just had this feeling that he would love to be there. And so I went on this trip and I had so much connection and community. And it's really funny because his motto was, we're rich in family. Mm. And I, I just love that phrase. And so th those are kind of the two phrases that we have in our family. It's celebrate life for my aunt. And it's that we're rich in family from my dad. Mm -hmm. And it kind of peppers into everything that we do. And of course, my trek to go there was a lot richer because of all these amazing individuals who are part of it. Even, you know, just for a blip, maybe I just did a small hike with them, but it was really meaningful for me. So yeah, yeah it was it was a really beautiful thing that we did. I love to collect heart rocks. And so I found a few heart rocks on the journey. <laughs> a lot of the guides knew that I was starting to collect them. And so then they'd bring their heart rocks to me too. It was like a fun little, almost like a little game that we had going on through it, but I didn't expect yeah. it to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw it as I have to do this. And I was really serious about getting to the top because the altitude is crazy, but you know, it ended up being so much fun. And I was yeah. laughing at the top of the summit. I was like, oh, 
I guess this is also what grief is. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you for sharing that and for your time today. We appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you so, so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Recipes for Grief. You can find more information about today's guest on the podcast page of your player, as well as their recipe card that's available on my website, andreasextondumas.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-S-E-X-T-O-N-D as in donut, U-M-A-S.com. If you'd like to share your recipe for grief, leave a three-minute voicemail at the following number and your message may be played on a future episode as a listener shout out. That number is 510-426-6041. That's 510-426-6041. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at recipes for grief. And now, here's a little advice from my grandmother. Life isn't easy. You just have to make the best of it.